everybody welcome to the 210th edition of the holy backboard podcast i'm dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling it, it has been a long time since we uh did a holy backboard podcast you know i've set up the zoom call for doing zoom calls not podcasts so it was like 10 minutes beforehand i was like oh shit where does this plug into where oh no oh no oh no it, it's good to be back and you know it's 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 good to take a step back from doing the the job grind to talk about basketball with you so i'm I'm very excited to do this it's it's definitely been a minute and i've found myself increasingly just not anxious but excited and almost just like chomping at the bit like i need my trailblazer news like okay the season's over we, we we lost in the first round been out for about a month okay the finals are over the only thing we know is the nba draft is happening november 18th we don't know anything about when the salary cap is being set what that level is going to be at what the luxury tax level is going to be at we don't know when training camps go we don't know when the nba season starts we don't know how many games they're going to try and fit in this season we don't know a damn thing. And it's driving me a little crazy because Sage, right now it's October 14th. We should be talking about preseason basketball. The season should be starting next week. I'm 35 years old. I've been programmed for 30 years of my life to know, okay, October means basketball and we, we don't have it. So my calculus is, is thrown off a bit and it's a, it's a little, uh, it's taking a little while to get used to, but I, I need some sort of news. So if Adam Silver and the rest of the league could throw this fan a bone, I would be much obliged. I mean, you, we can make, we can make educated guesses. Like, I don't think many teams are going to be with the, 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 the question marks of what salary will be. I imagine that not many teams are going to be giving out those two, three-year deals because of the flattening and inevitably the the declining of some of the salary caps because of you know the 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 COVID virus and all the other things that are happening in the world. Like a lot of these one-year contracts are going to be given out, and only the the elite of the elite are going to get multi-years. If 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 I were to guess, well, you're talking about the pandemic, but. Let's also not forget that before the pandemic even hit, I think we would have seen a lot of the same maneuvering uh, as you just described, because the summer of 2021 is supposed to be the next coming of the summer of 2010. You know, LeBron, Carmelo, Bosch, you know, all those big, big, big names were 2010. Amari, I mean, that, that was the year people were planning for that. People have been planning for the summer of 2021 for quite a long time. Obviously, the big fish is Giannis. And then when Kawhi Leonard and Paul George migrated down south to Los Angeles, they kind of threw threw everybody for a loop, too, and made sure that opt-out clauses were included so they could become unrestricted free agents in the summer of 2021. So it's going to be an interesting off season because you don't know how teams are going to approach the draft. 
it's already not a strong draft class and uh, a lot of owners probably aren't as, you know, their businesses aren't as healthy as they probably once were. And we don't know what the league financials are like. There's talk of fans. If there's no fans, you, you lose the gate revenue, you lose the merchandise, the, the concessions, all, all, all the, the whole nine yards. And you combine those two factors and we could see contracts really tighten up. Unlike almost, it could be almost like the polar opposite of 2016 when that new influx of cash from the cable contracts came in and you were seeing Luol Deng, Timothy Mozgov, Alan Crabb, just a bunch of players just get, get big bags. Yeah. Uh, I think now. I think the guy that made the last basket bags. Yeah. Yeah. Like the last basket in this season, man, he got paid in full in 2016 because he had the potential, not the, he didn't show it except for one half of a playoff series, the potential of being a DN three, he got a $16 million bag, man. Like guys like Davis Bertans who, you know, stayed out of the bubble to keep his, health in good order for this free agency he might not be seeing the the same type of money that like a mid-tier person in eight uh, in in 16 is and davis is probably one of the best shooters we have in this game i mean shit like the all this next two years is going to be so interesting to look back when we look back on it in like 2024 like Oh, this is what happened. And in, in 2021, there's going to be a good draft class. You got uh, Kate Cunningham, BJ Boston. You got a lot of good players coming into that in, into that draft class. Did you watch all of the playoffs after the Blazers were eliminated? After Portland was eliminated, there were some series I just had no interest in watching. Uh, I have a hard time watching the the Lakers. So I didn't watch hardly any. I didn't watch a second of their series against Houston. Um, I watched game seven of the Clippers Nuggets because that was hilarious. Either either result was mm-hmm. was great for me. Um, I actually enjoyed the Eastern Conference. Uh, Toronto and Boston was a classic series. I mean, OG shot with 0.3 seconds was just mind-blowing. Um, I, I love the versatility, the young talent um, of those teams. Uh, the Miami um, Boston Eastern Conference Finals was fantastic. Uh, the Heat just played like a complete team. Uh, I love Jalen Brown for the Celtics. It was just good basketball back and forth. And then whenever I watched the finals, so I watched game one and I was like, God, that's not the result I wanted to see. And then you heard about Bam and Goron getting hurt. I kind of tuned out because I knew it was a wrap. Um, I thought Miami had a chance if they could steal game one. They were up 13 early on, and they just kind of got deflated a little bit. And then I would always keep the game up on my phone, and if it got close, like I tuned in for that finish at game five, and I was ready to watch game six, but I saw that score, and I was like, no part of me needs to see the Lakers celebrate a championship. So um, I wasn't about to do that to myself. What, what about you? I participated in daily fantasy sports every day. So that was the reason I watched those games. But if it wasn't for DFS, like if I said, you know, I, I'm busy today, I can't I can't do a daily fantasy roster, I probably wouldn't have watched that game. But since there was that that potential of monetary value, it was like, well, shit, I better watch just in case. Like, you know, you 
you'd love a good sweat in daily fantasy. Like every game heat my heat uh, Lakers, I cashed. So I had to watch, but if, if I didn't have that, that the monetary value, I probably wouldn't have watched games that I didn't, that I didn't particularly like. Like I watched the Houston Lakers games, even though there's players on each side that I don't particularly enjoy their, their games or their personalities anymore. But, uh, you know, I watched, you know, we, we do this as a real hobby. Like we probably watch, you know, 20 hours of basketball a week. So it's like, when we don't know when the next season is, so I might as well enjoy this basketball when it's there. But, uh, you know, I didn't like it. I watched Blazer games with like, a okay, I have to be able to describe what I see. But these Laker games was just like, eh, that sucks. Or, you know, <sighs> Anthony Davis is flopping. What a bitch type of type of reactions. Not like thinking of a take that I had to had to say on a on a podcast. Yeah. And I would also say that the bubble impacted my. I guess, entertainment in a sense. I felt that the regular season bubble games, those those seed in play in games, those felt like regular season games to me. For whatever reason, when it flipped to the playoffs, that intensity wasn't there for me as a fan. Not saying the players didn't play hard. I think the fans in every arena just bring an atmosphere and... I mean, it's it's palpable. I mean, you can feel, especially when you're there. And I think the ability to know that, okay, we're playing the hated Lakers and I would normally go to games three and games four, maybe six. That opportunity is not, not there. It, it, it felt a, a little different and it, it wasn't the, it wasn't playoff basketball. Was it better than nothing? Absolutely. And if we have to take it again next year, would I take it? Absolutely. But again, we're talking about 30 years of experiencing one thing, and this is completely different. Um, that's where I kind of felt a little bit of a disconnect. And I think the NBA did a fantastic job managing the bubble. Um, no outbreaks. They did a great job of really thwarting any concerns or any potentials, especially with Lou Williams' situation. But when it comes to the on-court product, um, I don't really know what, what else that they could have done. I mean, you're, you're playing in an empty arena. I thought the virtual fans was a nice touch. I thought they did a good job um, at least trying to, to put playoff logos. It's little things like that that can kind of enhance the experience. Okay, I am watching a playoff game. And maybe it's just going to take some getting used to. And, and I'm definitely willing to do so. But from a first-time viewer, it it, it was it was it wasn't the same, and I think that's okay because I think I don't think anything can match the original, and that's just kind of what we have to live with until we can find a vaccine and and start to move back to uh, pre-pandemic times, mm-hmm. if, if and when they come. I think you're more into the aesthetics of of the game more so than I am, because I don't you know I see you tweet about like the jerseys and stuff like that. I don't particularly care. So I, I think that the aesthetics of no fans affected you more than me because you, you care more about this, th- th- those type of things than I do. You know, like I'm when I'm watching basketball, I'm watching basketball, but like 
I get that the side like when when I watch football games or basketball games, it was weird not seeing the crowd, but it didn't affect my viewing experience. I think with your big better view on aesthetics, it affected it more than it did me. Like I thought it was cute that I saw, you know, the chairs and some, you know, random faces. I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. But I mean, I, I think that's just the difference between you and I. Like whenever we talk about those type of like the aesthetics you're more active in the discussion and i let you you have have that discussion so i I, for me it was just like yeah this is kind of the same as it would be you know if i'm not going to the game it doesn't affect me that much you know i think the blazers are at a, a crossroads a major crossroads and i think it's bigger than what the fans want to admit it's bigger than I want to admit as well. When you look at the salary cap for the Blazers, they've been hampered by some faulty decision-making. Let's put it nicely. The summer of 2016 ring looms large in, in the mind of all, all Blazer fans. When you look at the cap, judging by, by basketball reference, the Blazers have about $110 million committed right now. Mm-hmm. That's if Mario opts in, if Rodney opts in, that does not consider uh, the salary for the number 16 overall pick or whoever they take in the second round. And that's not considering whatever they, if they bring back Wenyan, Carmelo, Hassan. Any of the exemptions. Any of the exceptions. So, Roughly $110 million. Okay, you look at that, that's not too bad. You know, you're, you're not in, in, in the luxury tax. You have room for a mid-level exception. But the Blazers have, the Blazers had a, a few questions that they needed answered. They got a couple of them answered in the bubble. Two of the positive takeaways, the biggest for, for, of me, aside from Dame proving that he's a top five player, which we already had an inclination that, that that's really where he was was how would Yusuf Nurkic bounce back from 19, 18 months layoff? Mm-hmm. He showed that he is more than capable, and he showed flashes of brilliance. He also showed he's a little bit rusty and needed to get his stamina back, which, duh, no-brainers. He hasn't played He hasn't played professional <laughs> basketball in a year and a half. He wasn't stretched out for long minutes. Exactly. He is also on a team-friendly deal, $24 million over the next two years. He signed with with Clutch, the the agency. He is going to want a a very nice contract if he keeps up his production. Even if he keeps up his bubble production, which was damn near 2010, a couple of blocks, a couple of assists, he's going to get well over $15 million. We're probably looking north of 20. I mean, that's just the type of contract that he is going to demand and he's 26 years old he's got plenty of room to grow the other surprise i would say maybe the breakout of the bubble for the blazers was gary trent jr and his ability to play defense to bring an intensity to the game to be a marksman from from downtown and have a willing desire to get better day in and day out was incredible i think that that was something the blazers have needed we've needed wing defense we have needed you know three and d players and he looks like he has potentially to be even better than that mm-hmm. 
The caveat there is that we have Gary for another team-friendly deal, $1.7 million. Mm-hmm. Then he he also signed with, with Clutch, and Clutch has known players paid. So the Blazers are going to, in summer of 21 with Gary and the summer of 22 with Nurk, they're going to have to open up their pocketbooks. And they're going to have to really decide, okay, are you part of, of this core? Because successful franchises can't just empty. I mean, this isn't baseball. Mm. There, are, there are ramifications for going over the cap. There are ramifications for being in the luxury tax. And there are major ramifications for being a repeater, a repeat defender at being in the luxury tax. And with Damon CJ on the books for damn near $75 million in the going into the 21, 22 season, that's a lot of, a lot of scratch tied up to two players that have accomplished incredible things with the organization, but have not got you to your ultimate goal. Mm. And you, if Zach Collins shows, proves that he's healthy, you have to pay him as, as well. So you've got Gary, you've got Yusuf, and you've got potentially Zach Collins. If he proves that he can stay healthy and play at a high level, you have three young players you have to pay in the immediate. And then let's say Anthony plays well, you have to pay him in Nasir. Nasir, whoever we draft, if we choose to draft somebody. We have a lot of young assets, but if they take that next step, those young assets, those young cheap assets become second contract players. And I think Portland, Portland, they've been bit before by that. Alan Crabb is Alan Crabb's the perfect example. Yeah. We all fell in love with him during that playoff run. You know, I wanted him back. Of course, you know, we had just came off of a second round playoff series against Golden State. It was competitive. Our sharpshooter got wanted to get paid. It was like, you can't just let a restricted free agent go. Okay, you bring him back. Not the best decision. Mm-hmm. I understand that now. But again, you still don't want to lose a player for nothing. And the Blazers are they're, they're going to be in a dilemma because the Western Conference is getting more competitive as teams like like Phoenix and Memphis start to rise. Mm-hmm. And you've got Dallas with Doncic. And now you've got Golden State coming back and they're loaded with a $17 million trade exception. They've got the number two overall pick. They've also got Minnesota's pick in 2021. They're loaded with assets. You know there it's no rebuilding time there. They are going to reload. Mm-hmm. They are going to be a threat. You've got the Clippers who are going to come back for one more run. The Lakers, obviously the defending champions, and then the Nuggets and Utah Jazz, both in your division, young studs who can basically scare the living daylights out of you on any given series. So mm. the Western Conference is – a bloodbath and who do you the think Blazers, the worst team is in the Western? It, it has to be Minnesota, right? Or Sacramento. Man, I, I just don't know how team building you can, you can tell me that cat and D'Lo and whoever the first pick overall is going to work together. And I mean, like but either way, I, w- I would argue that Minnesota is probably a playoff team in the East. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, so the Western Conference is 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 tough. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. And I think the Blazers have straddled that line of going all in mm-hmm. and gaining some assets while also being competitive. They've done that too much. They need to make a decision this offseason. And unfortunately, it always seems like it's bad timing. 
for the Blazers. Have we noticed that lately? When influx in cash takes place in 2016, who happens to have four free agents that they need to bring back? <laughs> the Trailblazers. Yeah. This I, time around, the Blazers have to make financial decisions when everything is up in the air. Our owner passed away about two years ago. So who's really calling the shots? I don't know. And Portland's got $75 million tied up in into two players who, while I love them dearly, they're essentially the, the same player. They're very and, similar. Yeah. And you want to know, can they get it done? Can Dame, CJ, Nurk, can that big, is that big three good enough? And the Blazers have to be honest with themselves and say, yes, I think they are. Or, or no, how can we retool? That's just why it, it feels such an interesting offseason because I, I, I've seen, you know, I browse a lot of the forums and I've seen a lot of offseason plans and it's like, okay, let's just run it back with the same team. I, I don't think we, we can do that. We have some pieces that we can trade as we've discussed before on this podcast and you, and you have the mid-level exception. Uh, I think the Blazers would be doing a disservice to arguably their greatest player in franchise history if they didn't just say, fuck it. We know we could be in salary cap hell in two years with all of these players, but Damien's 30, CJ's 29. We we gotta go. I mean, mm-hmm. I think they they really it's it's the the old adage, you know, shit or get off the pot, Portland. Like, let's go. Yeah, I mean I, I've used this the this reference, but there ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. Like, we gotta make that decision. Like I, I think the worst possible thing you can do is do nothing. Especially when there are there's options that Neil O'Shea and Blazers management can do to improve the team. It's not like we don't have these mid-level and biannual exceptions. We do. It would be a disservice to how well we played in the bubble to just leave it as is, like this is a completed project. It isn't. There's players that can help and Damien deserves more than just we make the playoffs. There's a variance of options. Either we get swept or we make the Western conference finals. There needs to be more consistency on the team. And with the, the mid-level and the biannual, we actually have ways to improve the team and there's two draft picks and then trades. Like we can improve this team to be a better cohesive unit for arguably our best player ever. There's also a $7 million trade exception that was acquired when we moved Bazemore for Trevor Reza. Mm-hmm. And there are going to be teams looking to shed salary. Portland would be smart to use that and, and pick up a, an asset that can help them win now. Sage, I can't long, turn to the first from yeah, Boston. I, I've long said that the three areas that Portland must address 100% this offseason are a strong veteran backup point guard. They need a starting power forward and they need a backup center. They can accomplish all of those three things with the tools that they have. Mm-hmm. Let's let's start with a name that you just mentioned and it's he's been on my list for for quite some time, but I would absolutely bring back Ennis Cantor with that trade exception, you could probably get one of Boston's second round picks. Yeah. I, I would want a sweetener. 
like we're doing you a favor by giving you flexibility. Give us like something for our troubles of taking Ennis Cantor. So Ennis Cantor has one year, $5 million mm-hmm. left on a player option. It's assumed that he will opt in. Portland would then be able just to absorb Ennis. We don't have to give up anything. And, and I think if you're an optimistic Blazer fan, if you believe in, in the Damian CJ Nurkic trio, don't let this seat last season be the deciding factor in, in, in decision-making moving forward. I think the Blazers, if they were smart, would go, go back a year to 2019 and look at that team and how it was constructed. Because truly, when you look at the depth charts, th- there's not a ton of, of difference. It's just those key positions that we didn't have that, that we're talking about. And, and one of those was the two-headed monster at center. Yusuf Nurkic and Ennis Cantor. Now, I know for all of, of Ennis's uh, defensive you know, deficiencies, he's probably not great in the pick and roll. He's a backup. He goes mm. in there and he gets you offensive rebounds, which we have sorely, we, we just have been lacking on the glass this entire season. I mean, it lasted damn near 12 months, but we lacked on the glass every single month. He's going to rebound for you. He's going to set solid screens. He doesn't need the ball. He's a garbage man. And Sage, this guy played with one shoulder in, mm. in multiple playoff series for us. He's got heart. He knows the team. He knows his role. And he was a fan favorite. Like, I think if I'm Neil O'Shea and he does not explore that that option. He's doing I, himself in the team. This is, it's the most low-hanging fruit mm. I have ever seen. Like, Portland needs to lock that up. Not only would getting Cantor solidify your your, your center rotation – you don't have to spend money to bring back us on white side. You don't have to spend any of your mid-level or biannual exceptions on a center or, or draft picks. Like you can just check that box. We have the, one of the best center rotations in the league. Okay. Let's move on to the next. I mean, like there's going to be teams that are desperate to cut salary player and an asset, whatever it may be. It might be a second round pick. It might be whatever a first round pick in the worst draft in a long, long time. I think that if we have these tools to use, we're doing ourselves a disservice not to use them. And I know Neil O'Shea hasn't used trade exemptions because we had the Alan Crabb. We had a lot of big ones that we never used, but we're restricted in the things that we are able to do. It might be the time to pull out the trade exemptions Build a build a solid rotation around the core. I mean, we it's it's limited, but we can do things. We can, and we 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 do need to take advantage of the flexibility offered. I, I if I'm, I could be wrong, but the last time we had true roster flexibility was in the summer, I believe that Lamarcus and all all of them left, and we just just had not many players on the books. What and, about the Anderson? Was that when we traded for Anderson Verjo? Look, Anderson Verjo okay. off. Then of yes, you're right. Hands. We got a first round pick in 2017. We were able to package those picks and move up to number 10. No, we didn't take the right player, but we had the ability to actually impact the franchise in an extremely positive manner. This is another way to atone for. For that mistake. I mean, you only get so many exceptions. We haven't used them. We, we have to start now. Like, like I said, if I'm Dame, I almost have some demands on what we need to do because he's been loyal. 
he deserves to have talent around him. You know, as much as I love CJ, LaMarcus Aldridge is probably the best player he's played with. And I don't really regard LaMarcus in that high of light, but at least he was an all-star. And if you really think like Damian Lillard's best sidekick was LaMarcus Aldridge, that's, that's tough. I mean, you look at every other top five player, they're playing with a perennial Hall of Famer or at least multi-time, you know, Middleton might be the worst. Yeah, like we we got uh, Robin. Yeah, like Dame's like starting to look like Allen Iverson out here. Like we need to get him some help. <laughs> Man, so, I mean, you take CJ off the team, and we are the 2176ers. We've discussed the free agent. We've discussed the mid-level exception. Sage, who are some of your top targets? I mean, before before the Heat killed shit it would it would have been jay crowder and uh and goran Dragic. i think both of them have priced their way out of the mid-level exception i would 100 percent agree with Dragic. It, it is unfortunate that the players that we have just been clamoring for for years to get to portland of course break out in the bubble and price themselves out and Dragic was number one on both of our lists for for quite a while and for so many reasons I think Crowder could be had for the mid-level, although Miami is in a an interesting situation because they have cap space in 2021. Any contract they hand out is going to be for a one-year mm-hmm. one-year one option. Year. They may do a team option like they did with Iguodala. And so they could offer them a boatload of money for one year, but maybe a player like Crowder sees, I could come and start in Portland. So I think Crowder has potential. I think Drogic might just end up retiring with the Heat. He's played so many years with that organization. And uh, you're right. He has completely priced himself out. And to be honest, I don't know if I'm comfortable paying that much more for a 33, 34-year-old Drogic. And I, I mean, a lot of the talk has been about Jeremy Grant. And I think he also priced himself out of uh, the mid-level exception. And I, I think I would agree with that as well because Denver has a plethora of free agents. Uh, Tory Craig is restricted. They have Jeremy Grant. They have Paul Millsap, who are both unrestricted. Uh, they're going to have to pay Michael Porter Jr. in a couple of seasons. They really need to decide what they're going to do with, with that with that that roster construction. And I don't see a world in which they bring back Millsap, Plumley. And, Grant yeah. and Tory Craig. And I think Jeremy Grant's top of their list and they won't let him go. So yeah, it, it sucks that our top three guys are all off the list. But aside I would go from Justin Holiday, maybe. But Justin Holiday was on my list as well. He doesn't deserve the entire thing. He deserves a piece of the MLB. Yeah, so yeah. So when we're talking mid-level, you can clearly break it up into, into any any increments, but you have essentially ten to eleven million dollars. I do like holidays. Uh, game. I think he is just one of those glue guys who comes in, plays a role. Mm-hmm. Um, That's important. Yeah, That's in terms of value. impact, it reminds me a lot of uh, a guy like Gary Trent. Like you, when he comes on the floor, you know what you're going to get. And he knows himself. He's 30. Like he knows his game. He's not going to try and pull. He's not going to steal the ball and pull from the hash. He knows his game, and that's a valuable thing. Uh, I would say that uh, Augustine deserves to be interviewed at least dj augustine from orlando he's played in that role before as the backup point guard jeff teague i think would be a valuable person to 
at least talk to. He's he he knew his role in Atlanta and thrived in that role as a backup point guard because he was the backup point guard to uh, Trey Young. Speaking of another Trey, I really liked how Trey Burke played for Dallas in mm-hmm. the bubble. He didn't make any he- mistakes, and I remember his thing in when he was playing at Michigan he made a lot of dumb mistakes and I think he's ironed that out of his game, which is, is a really good thing for him in his future at playing basketball. And I think what we're looking at when we're talking about a backup point guard is somebody who can come in and just write the ship, keep it steady. while while Dame rests the ability to keep the defense honest and it's just an overall calming factor. Like you need a veteran. I think you really do need veterans to play as 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 a backup point guard. It's really hard. Like you, we looked at Monte Morris last year in the playoffs. He he really folded against the Trailblazers. He had a really outstanding rookie season. Yeah, like he had the he he took care of the ball at like an outrageously high rate. But when it, the the lights got a little too bright, mm-hmm. it was a wrap. And yes, I know he had a better second year, but. Again, Portland needs to win now, and I think the players that we've talked about would do a good job. Uh, of Everyone's keeping... been a, is a vet, like yeah. the The least vet person is Justin Holiday. Like Jeff Teague was an All Star. DJ Augustine was like the best player in a fran- in franchise history for a while in Charlotte. Like dude, those two dudes have been at a high heights, and now are accepting roles that their skill level and their age gives them. You know, I think over the last 30 years, three of my favorite backup point guards have been Danny Young, Greg Anthony, and even looking back, I didn't like him as a starter, but as a backup, he was fine. Steve Blake. Hmm. They all had a specialty. They all knew their role. And for the most part, they just didn't make many mistakes. And I think that's what you need. You need something just to stay even keel while your starters are able to rest and then they can go in there and, and elevate. But they it's harder for them to elevate when they're having to come from behind. Mm-hmm. If you can just keep it status quo, you know, GG's. It's over. I want to add uh, Jeff Green into the list of players that I would like You're, to bring in. So I, I did this probably a couple days ago, and the only the only two names that you've said so far that I just didn't put on was DJ Augustine and Jeff Teague. Like, you've mentioned Jeremy, Goron, uh Jeff Green, Justin Holiday, Jay Crowder. Like, it's pretty uncanny that we... I mean, I, I even wrote a, a blog post on holybackboard.com talking about a decision I have to make in Daily Fantasy. Like, either go Robert Covington or Jeff Green. And Jeff Green and, D, and Robert Covington are very similar players. And when you look at it, pro, uh, like, contract-wise, is Robert Covington 700% better than Jeff Green? I think not, so getting veterans that know their roles and have done things in the NBA where you can, where these young guys that we've talked about can respect what they've done is, is a really nice move. One player I would add, and this is if for whatever reason we don't decide to use the trade exception for Ennis Cantor would be Nerlens Noel. Um, I, I think- Man, I told you, I was talking about Nerlens Noel. Oh, and I would like to say Alfred Payton too. If, if, if the Knicks cut him, Alfred Payton has the same contract as Trevor Ariza where like by a certain date you can cut him and pay like a, a percentage of his salary. They're going to have RJ Frank Dennis, 
whoever they bring in with their pick. Do you really need Alfred Payton to weigh down your your salary cap? Cut him. He'd be the he'd be a great backup point guard. It's not like we're trying to get Chris Paul. We're trying to get pro professional point guards. <laughs> Two other wings that I had on my list. One I didn't realize was a restricted free agent, so it diminishes it a bit. But again, we we mentioned this with Denver. I, I do like Tory Craig. I, I think he's a safe player who plays solid defense and he can hit the open shot. He's a little like Mo Harkless, but I think the highs aren't as high, but the lows aren't as he's low. He's more I think, consistent. Definitely. I think he's more consistent. And again, if you throw a seven, eight million dollar contract at him, I don't know if Denver matches just because of everything. Seven, eight million though? I don't know. I don't know if we want to do that. <laughs> Again, restrictive one, restricted free agents you have to overpay. And two, usually to pry players away, you always have to up the ante a bit. That's why they're leaving their home to go elsewhere. I mean, that's just the nature of free agency. But the last player, Joe Harris from Brooklyn. Yeah, because they have so many players that they need to play. Yeah, he's kind of the forgotten guy with with Brooklyn because they have all of these wings and I mean, he's he's a very specialized player. I like I like what he could potentially do with us. I mean, you look at Duncan Robinson of Miami, like just the impact that shooters have on today's league. You have Damian Lillard. We, we how many times say did we said how do we get him to break the double? Well, one way is to get certified marksmen out on the perimeter because Dame may be torching you, but you don't want to leave a guy like Joe Harris or Duncan Robinson wide open. Cause that's Gary. That's a layup for them. Mm-hmm. And could you imagine a, a small ball roster of Dame CJ, Gary Harris and Joe Harris, like Gary, I mean, Harris. not, uh, not Gary, but uh, Gary Trent jr. Sorry. Like, good. Those are, that's spacing, man. You can't leave any of those bonafide shooters for to double off the, uh, off Dame, or you're willing to give, Use uh, of Nurkic to dunk every single time. Once you you do the hard uh, hedge and double off of the the pick and roll, once once Nurk realizes that no one's in his way, he's getting that dunk. And so, if if we're looking at this from a chronological point of view, I think in the draft, always should take best player available. Then you can go out and, and do your trade exception. Hopefully, you shore up one of those three necessities that we touched on mid-level again find a need and then the trade i think the trade will be the last piece because Mm. by then you should have your roster almost fully constructed and you can say do i feel confident in what we have that if we trade zach collins we'll be okay do we yes we love trevor reza but do we need a younger version and then he's salary wise Trevor Reza is really the only movable contract that we have. Mm. You've got Damon CJ making 30 and $40 million. You're only going to bring back 30 and $40 million players. And most of those players aren't on the market. And again, we're not trading Dame. We have nobody else outside of Yusuf Nurkic making double, double digit millions. You know, uh, it'd be crazy if we had that, uh, like an Andrew Nicholson type of four $5 million contract to make these trades a lot easier. Yeah, so it's it's going to be interesting to see what Portland does. But, Sage, there were a couple of trade targets that I looked through everybody's roster, everybody's salary cap. 
then there were a few players that I came up with that I thought Portland should should, should target. Clearly, we talked about Ennis Cantor in length. Uh, using I mean, tree. it just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah it, 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 it's scary because it almost makes too much sense, but I'm still hoping that, that it gets done. I mean, I, Neil O'Shea doesn't like to make moves that make sense. You know, but sometimes those moves that don't make sense because we we totally thought we were going to trade Mason Plumley for Jason Smith in a first. They are. Four. Oh, was it? Oh, shit. Jewel Okafor in a first. Oh, yeah. I mean, so, you know, sometimes the creativity is is very powerful and then sometimes it's a huge mistake. So let, let what, are, what are the trades that you have in mind? Well, I just wanted to go back to Ennis really quick and looking at that 2019 team, the reason they played so well is they had a bonafide backup point guard. It took him a while. He wasn't a traditional point guard, but Seth Curry was, and this isn't my trade target, but I'm just talking about why that, why I felt that team separated themselves from the next year's iteration. Seth Curry was a veteran who knocked down shots, but he played better defense than many advertised. I thought you oh, absolutely. He, yo, he won us that game six against the Thunder. I remember saying Steph's gonna get Seth is getting a steal right here, and he did, and like that was a, a major dagger. So yeah, Seth was a was a huge. As much as they drove me crazy, we had wing defenders mm-hmm. in Harkless and Aminu. We got a little bit of that back in Trevor Ariza, but he wasn't able to play in, in that bubble. And we definitely saw that gaping hole at the power forward that in today's NBA, Zach Collins isn't able to fill. So that, I mean, there, there's two things. And the last one we, we discussed again, Ennis Cantor was just a monster on the, the, having that center rotation before Yusuf went down, we were just, was dangerous. Man. We were destroying teams. Yeah. Like um, when we first in rebounding, First, we I control, mean, yeah, I mean, we, we controlled the boards, which isn't that the most important part of defense? Getting the rebound, limiting possessions, especially <laughs> in today's league where offenses are at an all-time high, and you want to limit the amount of possessions that, that they're able to get. So, with with all of that said, like a few of the trade targets that I have, and there are there are five. Kelly Oubre uh, of the Phoenix Suns. Now, this is an interesting one because he has one year left with $14 million. Phoenix went 8-0 in the bubble and really wants to win now. Hmm. The caveat there was Kelly Oubre was hurt and was not able to participate in, in that, that run. They have Cam Johnson and Mikael Bridges already in the fold. Do you they think really- that uh, Kelly Oubre is too much of a speed bump for those two? And trading him would be addition by subtraction. I don't necessarily think it would be addition by subtraction in terms of um, development. I'm thinking more of salary because you're going to have to pay Kelly if you trade for him. Exactly. And I don't know if Phoenix is going to, and this, I guess does come back to your point. Why would you pay Kelly Oubre multi-million dollars when you've already got younger Mikael Bridges and Cam Johnson? Mm-hmm. Like you who showed the fuck out. Yeah, they, they, they're set there. So what can you do? Would to- Tre- Trevor Ariza has to be part of the trade, right? And then is it a young young buck that we're trading as well? For- yeah, I mean, like, it just depends. Like what, what they would want, what they want an Anthony, what they want a Zach Collins, what they want. And you in know- your tra- team construction, is Kelly the four or the three? 
he would be that's a good question. I think Thank it depends you. on how else you filled out your roster with the mid-level. Like, are you able to snag a Jay Crowder or Jeremy Grant? Kelly's in your three. Um, do you want to go a little bit smaller and start Gary at the three and Kelly can be the four? Like, again, we talked about spacing. And yeah, so, it's versatility too. Versatility is the key. And I think the three and the four are going to become even more interchangeable as NBA evolution, like as, as the evolution of the NBA continues. So I think having those type of players are are key. And, you know, Oubre would be somebody who, again, you're going to have to spend. the, the night. Like, you have to really go into this saying, we need somebody. We're shooting our shot, at least, though. We're shooting our shot. Because I don't know if we're going to bring back. I don't really know how much Trevor Reza has in the tank. He's 35, 36 years old. After this next season, what does he have? Those those wing players are at such a premium that if you can get a young guy like Kelly Oubre who comes in, buys in, has a great year, yeah, you pay, but you have the bird rights. And if, if you're winning, stage winning cures everything. And I mean, you got he has that year to join with Dame and CJ and be part of a culture. Like he's never really won before. No, he's played in Washington and Phoenix, and until last, you know, bu- bubble, Phoenix has sucked. So how do you think that Kelly would do being the fourth option at best? Because in Phoenix, he was the third option and sometimes the second. So would the role change of you're like a spot-up guy be a uh, hindrance for him, you think? I would envision Kelly being almost like Portland's version of Cliff Robinson. Cliff... But he's starting, though, right? Yeah, he's starting, but... What Portland would do a lot of the times is they would bring Cliffy off the bench, but then they would run run sets for him. Like he was their go-to guy when you know Drexler and Porter were taking their breathers. So he would so be the main. He would be the offensive hub when Dame or CJ or both are off. Yeah, I mean he's got the ability to put the and ball Nurk. on the floor. He's got the the ability to to pull up. He can sh- score in really every every instance. Like he, he gets you offense. Um, there will be opportunities for him. I just think like if you're talking about right out of the gate, first two, three minutes of the game, yeah, you're not going to be the first, second, or third option, but... Or the last five minutes. Yeah, but maybe you're hot. Maybe you have a size advantage. Like I think just giving Terry Stotts enough tools to to utilize will be a bonus. And I then, mean, what we saw in the playoffs is you need to have smart and you need to have versatile players. Kelly Oubre, without a doubt, is versatile. He can play two through four. We need that. Like one of the main reasons we lost games was we put fucking Rio in, in important times. Like, cause he, for all his faults, he's versatile. He can play one, two or three, not well, but he can play them. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm very cool with, in theory, a Kelly Oubre for Trevor Reza and a young guy play, uh, trade. We've discussed Jeff Green from the Rockets, but actually looking at Houston's roster and knowing that they're going you in a different better not say Eric Gordon. No, I would not. His contract is too, too high. <laughs> and my mentioning of him would be too much. They're getting a new coach. They are at a crossroads as well. They have even fewer assets than Portland does moving forward. And I don't know if micro ball is going to, to continue in Houston in 2021. So two players that I thought 
would be an interesting look for Portland or PJ Tucker. He has one year in left. A second. In a $8 second. $8 million. And then Robert Covington, who has two years, each 12. is about 12 to $13 yeah. million. Oh, I, I mean, PJ Tucker's in a second. He's just so smart, so strong. He has a corner three. Like, he's, he's a vet, he's, too. He's been through the ringer. I mean, he's been everywhere. And he's, he, I, I, I find that his intellect is the reason that they can do microball. Because you couldn't do that type of roster construction without a guy who's genius level defensively. You couldn't. I think, and I think he's the that reason I, that that exists, man. Like, if you look at what, like, if you do look at like three man rosters, the reason, like, the best ones always have PJ Tucker in it because he's so smart. So if we can get a PJ Tucker on this team, he's like the super role player that every elite team needs. Like, I don't think he's a superstar, but he's a super role player. Like, dude, he would give Nurkic so much flexibility defensively and he can hit. He, he's like one of the best corner three shooters. I, I PJ Tucker all day. I mean, we saw just how abysmal Portland's defense was, was this year. And it got worse as players got injured. Clearly. Hmm. Yes, PJ is 35, but how many Portland years? Is Just one more? He has a one more year left on his deal for $8 million. But Portland, again, I think they need those just, they need those dogs. And PJ is one of those. And like you said, he's super intelligent defensively. So his off ball defense is on, you know, otherworldly. He plays yeah, God type. Yeah, and plays just think what he could do for Nasir. Like, yeah. Nasir is a six, seven forward. Like who, who there's not many better teachers than by potential mellow PJ Tucker uh, mentorship. You know, for all the shit that Bob Litzett gets for his moves he made in the summer of 2000, equally as good were his moves in the summer of 99. That was a young blazer roster that made a surprising trip to the Western conference finals but he saw their de- deficiencies. Mm. He went out and got veterans. He signed Detlef Shrimp. He traded for Steve Smith, and then he traded for Scottie Pippen. All of those three players were, were past their primes. But because of their presence and intelligence mm-hmm. and leadership and skill, that team elevated to a true champion con- championship contender. And I think P.J. Tucker is that type of player where you get everything that you want and then some. Like, I think that sends a clear signal to Oh, we Dan. ain't fucking around. We got PJ? Yeah, like, so he is definitely on, on my... I would overpay for PJ as well. And you have to also look at who you're dealing with. Houston is in desperate need of draft picks. They, they, have, they have so much salary tied up in James Harden and Russell Westbrook. They have zero flexibility. Mm-hmm. Maybe you throw him a bone, a first round pick, and, and match salary. I, so, who do you think is more valuable to the Houston Rockets, Covington or PJ? Because I would go PJ. I think PJ Tucker's the more valuable player. But again, if we're talking about Houston, they're nowhere near contending. Covington is still on the other Young side of 30. Yeah. I think he's going to be harder to pry away. 
And he's, I almost hesitated to put him on this list because I think he's still living off that Philadelphia reputation. He didn't play incredibly well in Minnesota. And then he got moved uh, to Houston where he was inconsistent. But he's yeah, got, that's, why, that's why Jeff Green was an option in Daily Fantasy. <laughs> he's got the prototypical everything modern, modern four build. I mean, if that's who you want. Can shoot, can defend. It's just not always consistent. You, tr- you, you, you probably have to pay up to get a guy like Rocco. I mean, they basically gave up Clint Capella in a first-round pick to get Covington, so th- they have a lot of cost already invested into him. But you have to gamble that he will flourish under a new system. Get myself for it, and I don't think we'll be able to match salaries. It was just more of of a thought of a, of an archetype of a player. But Draymond Green. Oh, I would fucking love it, dude. I don't think we so can Ray, get him, but so I would love Raymond it. Raymond has three years left, plus a player option. Next year is a $22 million contract. They're already paying up for Steph and Clay. That Wiggins, and deal, yeah. that Wiggins deal is gnarly. You know they're going to bring in somebody with their $17 million trade exception. The first second overall second pick's probably going to cost them about $9, $10 million a year. That is a lot of salary. Even if they trade the second overall pick and Wiggins and bring in a guy, that that is a lot of salary to pay four players. So how are we attaining him? I don't like I said. I don't. I don't think we can match salary. We'd have to do Trevor plus Zach plus maybe Mario once he opts in. Something like that um, might get us close to twenty-two. But again, I don't know why Golden State would want to deal with us or if that package. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I think. But this, I would, that, that's exactly second. who the Blazers yeah. need. Like he reminds me so much of what the Blazers received when they got Buck Williams in the summer of '89. I mean, like, it's just that floor general on defense. He just raises your confidence. Like, okay, we've got a former Defensive Player of the Year mm-hmm. with us. You've got he's basically a free safety back there. He's calling all the plays. He's gonna rebound. He's he can handle the ball. Yes, I know his production has declined, but. Draymond has always struck me as a player that he doesn't need to be a hub of like a offensive hub yeah. of your offense. He's cool. elevate his game when the stakes are high. Yeah. I mean, in him and how, what's a better pairing for Yusuf Nurkic? I mean, Draymond Green has to be up there in those five players that you talked about. All of them have roles and then the the two that I'm most ex- would be most excited about are probably 99 percentile intelligence like PJ and Draymond. We need more basketball IQ on this team, and then we need like intelligence players and guys that know their roles are highly valuable. Would you rather have PJ Tucker or a guy like Jordan Clarkson who doesn't know what? passing the ball or running a pick and roll is you'd rather take a PJ Tucker because of all the benefits that he gives you with his brain and what he like, what he can do mentoring Nasir little or, you know, Gary Trent Jr. Like, could you think of a lot like a, a Nurk PJ Gary Trent Jr. Front line. That's some dogs right there. I mean, you look at team like Miami and you look at Toronto and Boston and you watch them play defense and you just 
I mean, watch Mar- Marcus Smart won Boston a handful of games mm-hmm. in, in the bubble with how relentless he was, how intelligent he was, just plays he made at the end of games where as a Blazer fan, I'm like, that that must be nice. Like, <laughs> we just if we can rotate like Miami. Yeah, I mean, God, the rotations were a, th- a thing of beauty and just we, we didn't have that this year. Um, Sage, one last name. Would you welcome a return of Alfa Rukaminu? For what? And is he healthy? Yeah, let's say he's healthy. Yeah. Mi- minimal offering. Yeah, we. I mean, Orlando is a team that, yes, has Aaron Gordon, but will not have Jonathan Isaac. They're also in a weird dance with, do we make the playoffs? Do we really tank? We don't know what we want to do. I don't know if he would be available, but it was just a name where I'm like, you know, the Blazers were really good in 2019. Can we get as many of those players back at a, at a discount and still have options to really enhance the team? So you're a souped up 2019 version. Um, he wouldn't be my number one option, but no, but I would open up. I would be happy to have a, uh, a return about Farouk, even though times I f- couldn't stand him. I know. I I, I was but he 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 can board. He can play defense. Those two things are hugely important to the Blazers and their success in the next few years. So I, I how trust, old is he? Um, he was drafted in 2010, I believe, as a freshman. freshman. Mm-hmm. I think he's like 29, 30. I mean, if it he, he did he sign the MLE in Orlando? No, it was a three-year, twenty-seven million dollar deal. Okay. So it'd be two years, nine mil. Yep. Or two years, 18, excuse me. Yep. I wouldn't mind it. it it's a little rich, but at the same time. I know looking you back. You pay for smart, pl- for usable basketball player. Like if we're thinking playoff time, Alfred. It's hit or miss. Let's be yeah, honest. But he hits more than who we had. Uh, yeah. I mean, in theory, he could even play the five for us. Like, Alfred gets the five would be all right. He he can rebound. He rebounds great for a power forward. So he'd rebound okay for a center. Like, I wouldn't mind it. I know a lot of people. He is very like he is very controversial in the eyes of Blazers fans. I mean, you're I would looking at someone who was happy that he was gone. Like I was like, no more watching Alfred Camino. Well, though we had a healthy Zach Collins for three games. <laughs> and also Zach didn't improve. I know he was hurt, but what we I don't know if Zach Collins is is a four. It, like it, it's he's a five, Doc. Tell me if if I'm seeing things or if I'm wrong, but I felt like the NBA as a game is significantly different from 2019 to where it is now. It feels like it's even more revolutionized mm-hmm. to small, fast paced, athletic, shoot the ball. Like, I don't think Zach Collins can play four in 2020, whereas I thought he could in 2019. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I mean, like, if you're looking, if you're looking f- to the future, guys like, Anyeka Okonwu and Bam Adebayo are going to be the archetypal centers in the league. And I don't, th- I think that Zach Collins isn't that type of, of, of big. And we already have Nurk. Yeah. And I think, and Nurk's much better. 
And yeah, Nurk's so good that we can go away from what the the like the meta is because he's so special. I don't think Zach Collins is that special, and I think that that picking him at that high of a uh, a pick is it, it, it's gonna hurt until he's off the team. Well, it already hurts because we saw how incredible Donovan Mitchell and Bam Adebayo were in this postseason yeah. run. Malik Monk would help us more, Doug. Like, it's at least healthy until he, uh, you know, until he became an addict. And I hope that he fixes. I mean, I hope the road recovery is a successful one for him. But yo. Early December, Malik Monk was killing it. <laughs> yeah, and like I didn't expect to think Al Farouk would hurt losing him, but you you see what's worse, and what what was worse was was not fun to watch. Mm. Um, I mean, Al Farouk was kind of the gla- grass is always greener moment when it the grass is really dog shit. Like Al Farouk has issues. There's no way we can argue that he is a perfect player. It, uh, his benefits, his pros outweigh his cons on a normalized basis. There's games where he is rock awful, but he's at least going to get you good rebounding and good defense. Something that we didn't have at the power forward position ever. <laughs> I mean... You look at Aminu, I think the Blaze, I think Neil Olshay did himself an incredible disservice by not offering him a contract. Even if the plan was to move him to a backup, which I think would have been fine because he's he's a backup in Orlando. But the fact that we put all of our eggs into Zach Collins and we we didn't really address a backup. Like, like that you can go back to 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 preseason predictions. Like the one major threat that we saw we are thin up front and boy did that come true and it, it derailed any hopes we had uh, becoming a contender this season and now instead of having a menu on your team we're thinking of having to trade an asset to get him and uh that's that's a tough pill to swallow but that's that's been the neil Olshay experience sometimes it tastes good sometimes it tastes bad we're going to be back next week to talk a, a, a lot of draft stuff. And through this next month and a half, we're going to bring you a lot of draft co- coverage. We will be back next week with some more hot fire. You're a real one. If you've listened thus far and go out there and vote because letting your voice be heard is really important in this day and age. Please vote. And after you're done voting, go check out holybackboard.com. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go! Let's go!